Welcome back to the Ishan Ash Show. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the first six months of the Biden administration. And I'll be talking about the successes and failures of President Biden and his cabinet and what they intend on doing so for the next three and a half years and how this impacts the president's chances at re-election in 2024. I'll be talking about those stories and more today, July 27th, 2021. From Anchor by Spotify, this is the Sean S. Show, a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics from the perspective of a 15-year-old. With me, your host, Ishan. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get right into today's topic. So today, July 27th, marks six months and one week since President Biden was inaugurated as our 46th president of the United States. Today, I want to take a look back at the past six months and take a look at where things stand for the president and how well or bad he's doing compared to his predecessors on a political and policy level, as his administration marks a pretty big milestone. The president has had a more unorthodox presidency. He's been battling a nationwide pandemic, an economic crisis, several challenges to democracy and social unrest, harassment from our adversaries, and all of that coupled with the closest Congress of the 21st century, an evenly split Senate, and a difference of just a couple of seats in the House. Now, President Trump did face something similar to this, but those were in his last few years, mind you. In fact, just in his last year in office. No man, not many presidents have had to enter into the Oval Office with all of these issues on their desk. So that's where President Biden has the distinction. Now, in addition to all of this stuff, opposition from the Republican Party, for the most part, has been a completely united front against Biden's agenda. So with all of these challenges, let's take a look at how successful or how unsuccessful uh, the six months of the Biden presidency have been. I wanted to start off by telling you the president's approval rating. For any president and any politician for that matter, approval ratings are very important and can be instrumental in elections, but also in real time. Having a high or impressive approval rating can demonstrate command over one's agenda and it can give us an insight into the mood of the electorate. On the other hand, if an approval rating is low or unimpressive, it can indicate very bleak chances at a potential re-election campaign and might rule the sitting office holder as nothing more than a lame duck with an assured loss in the future. So at a state level and a local level, approval ratings can be as high as 69% in hardcore partisan states or as low as 32%. Now those were approval ratings for governors according to Morning Consult's polling numbers. Now, that was a look at the state level, but on a federal level, I'd like to say that no one's a winner in, in, at the federal level when it comes to approval ratings. In my books, if somebody can earn an approval rating as high as 55%, then they are truly impressive and deserve respect, whereas below 45% is when politicians should start worrying. For President Biden, in his first six months, the headlines are that his approval numbers have literally not changed. Through his term to this point, the president has maintained an average of 53% in his approval rating without it changing a whole lot over time. Now compare that to his 
predecessor, former President Donald Trump, who got between 36 and 39 percent at this point, depending on the poll, Biden seems to be doing better. However, when taking a look at other presidents, Biden seems to be quite average, if not below average. Based on numbers from ABC News, President Obama in his first six months polled at around 59 percent. President George W. Bush, that's number 43, came in at 59 percent as well. Looking at presidents dating back to President Truman, Biden comes in at a mediocre 10th place out of 14, just between Presidents Clinton and Nixon. While six months is pretty early into a term, if I were a political advisor to the president, I'd be telling him that he needs to step up his game. Now, with all that said, however, to the president's credit, a consistent 53% may also just be our new reality as our nation just gets more and more divided. Now, let's take a look at some of the policy accomplishments and failures for the president. When he was a candidate campaigning for the office he currently holds, Biden made several promises, including health care reform, addressing the climate crisis, proposing new measures to fix the criminal justice system, revitalizing American foreign policy, and more bipartisan legislation to provide economic relief to Americans as we continue to battle both an economic and public health crisis. He made a lot of promises there. Now, in terms of the most forefront issue, the COVID-19 pandemic, The administration, I'd say, paid a lot of attention to the crisis itself and did a lot of what Biden promised he'd do. Just days before he'd take office, the president promised to expedite the vaccination effort and try to inoculate as many Americans as possible to achieve significant COVID protection for the entire nation. As a benchmark to measure the work of his administration, Biden set the goal of administering 100 million doses of the various vaccines within his first 100 days in office. While many people expected the administration to succeed, what really surprised many people, myself personally too, was when it was announced that they met this goal within the first 58 days in office. The administration then got a little more excited and ramped it up to 150 million doses by the end of the first 100 days. Then when they beat that goal, they increased it again to 200 million doses. The administration managed to succeed with that goal too, with a full one week to spare. So early on, the president and the Biden administration as a whole demonstrated a clear ability to manage this very big operation of vaccinating tens of millions of Americans in a very short matter of time, arguably. In May, The president then set the next goal, which was vaccinating 70% of American adults by the 4th of July. Now, he was unsuccessful in doing so and admit that weeks before, although by the 4th of July, 67% of the adult population did have at least one dose of the vaccine. So he was close. Now, the president may have had a lot of triumphs and successes when it came to dealing with COVID, but More recently, the president is facing a couple of new issues pertaining to COVID that have either come up in the past few months or have persisted the whole pandemic and Biden's time in office. This list includes a new opposition to getting vaccinated. 
With very low vaccination rates in many parts of the country, the administration now needs to figure out how to get more shots into people's arms because of the prevalence of the brand new Delta variant of the virus, a variant of COVID that spreads faster and is proving to be more dangerous for unvaccinated folks. Just days ago, it accounted for 50% of cases after being on the scene for just a month before that. Today, that number has increased to 83% of total cases here in the United States. And because of it, international travel from places like the UK, India, Brazil, South Africa, among, among other countries, continue to remain restricted, garnering a bit of international criticism. On the economy, first and foremost, the president promised to deliver economic relief to Americans as the recession and the decline in global economic growth remained prevalent in his first few months. In March, he passed the American Rescue Plan, his administration's first major victory in Congress. The bill was a $1.9 trillion piece of legislation that provided economic relief to millions of Americans in the forms of stimulus, unemployment benefits, small business loans, and a lot more. The bill did notably pass without any Republican support. Now, this is where I see something interesting compared to some of the promises that he made as a moderate. The president has come out to be a bit more progressive on economic issues and welfare than what most people had initially anticipated. There's a lot of, um, you know, progressive policies and liberals policies making their way into a lot of legislation that if we can pull up the right clips, we can even find Joe Biden opposing during his campaign for president. So that's a a little interesting for me to see. The American Families Plan and the American Jobs Plan are two major spending bills aimed at job creation, manufacturing, industry growth, healthcare reform, competing with China, free public university education, tax cuts, and a whole list of other things that were introduced um, in President Biden's first State of the Union address. I mean, it wasn't officially a State of the Union. It was a joint address to Congress, but here on this show, we're calling it his first State of the Union. Now, a lot of the stuff in this um, in these two plans are proposals of the administration on uh, to address further economic relief as we come out of the end of the other end of the COVID recession tunnel. And then, of course, we have infrastructure. In a previous episode, I declared that infrastructure was probably the most exciting thing that we could talk about in politics. (laughs) So... In the realm of infrastructure, the president initially began negotiations with the GOP on an infrastructure plan. However, those talks very quickly failed, and then all eyes quickly turned to a group of bipartisan lawmakers who had their own plan in the works. A deal was reached in June. I remember reading the tweets, we have a deal, with all the 10 senators meeting with the president that day. If you want to hear more about that um, plan and, you know, the things behind the negotiations, check out my episode labeled Infrastructure in the title. I think it's one of it's like the third or fourth episode. Go check it out. So economically, the portfolios turned out to be decent and I'd say successful in meeting the needs of the Democratic Party's agenda in the short term, at least. There have been a few pretty big setbacks that I feel many others feel the administration ought to address. 
Inflation is a word that we're hearing a lot of these days as government spending has increased rapidly into the trillions and the Fed is printing a lot of money and there are quite a few other contributing factors that have shown that inflation is now going to be a pretty big deal for us. The Consumer Price Index is citing overall consumer prices spiking 5.4%. That's the fastest in one month increase in 13 years. While the Fed has said that it is transitory and that the returns will pay back the losses we're experiencing now, some experts are pointing at this as being a potential new normal for the next couple of years. Another economic challenge that Biden faces is jobs. While yes, the economy is adding historic numbers of jobs every month, many of these numbers are purely recovery numbers. Jobs that were lost in the COVID-19 recession and then added back later on. So the, the administration may want to start looking at increasing raw job growth, like numbers, job numbers that don't include recovery numbers, like pure job increases. On foreign policy, the administration has seen a lot from all parts of the world. I mean, it's probably the same amount as other administrations have seen in their foreign policy portfolios. But, you know, with COVID on the stage, it kind it, it, it adds a bit more. So the Biden administration has seen a lot on the world stage from Russia to Central America to Southeastern Asia to Europe and Africa. There have been a number of triumphs and setbacks that Biden's facing right now with foreign policy. When he was campaigning for president, Biden said that it would be his goal to return to a, quote, position of trusted leadership. This includes relations with Russia and China, our involvement in the Middle East, and taking a charge in Central America. I'll start with Central America, where Biden has tasked Vice President Kamala Harris to take the charge on understanding the, quote, root causes of a lot of the illegal migration that's coming from this region. Last month, Harris had visited Guatemala and Mexico and met with their leaders to discuss some of the issues that the loca- their regions are facing and why this may be contributing to heavy illegal immigration here to the United States from our southern border. Now, she has faced mixed feedback for her first foreign policy initiatives. If you want to hear more about her trip and southern border issues, you can listen to one of my previous episodes where I talk about Harris's trip in detail. Now, on matters of Russia, Biden has taken a more aggressive stance against the Russian government and Vladimir Putin, their president, over its human rights record and treatment of government opposition, The name that comes to mind is Alexei Navalny. Biden met with Putin last month in Geneva, Switzerland, to discuss these issues. I also talk about their meeting um, before it happened, but I talked about what they planned on talking about in that same episode I mentioned earlier about Kamala Harris's trip to Guatemala. On China, Biden is continuing to take a tough stance against their government as Beijing is emerging to be the biggest economic and political rival to the United States in years. Biden criticized China, calling it, quote, deeply authoritarian and accused China of stealing American jobs and, Amer- and American intellectual property. 
Biden's also criticized their human rights record with the treatment of the Uyghur Muslims in the Xinjiang region, calling it a genocide, and criticized their leader Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party for other issues. And with Europe, Biden promised to repair relations with the EU and strengthen bonds with other non-EU members like the United Kingdom. Biden has also reaffirmed his support of the NATO alliance as they continue to maintain a strong front against Russia and they may face a bit of a challenge on whether or not to admit Ukraine into the alliance. As for the Middle East, President Biden announced a full troop withdrawal from the nation of Afghanistan by the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And then in Iraq, it was announced recently that the U.S. would be ending its combat mission in the country and would take on a more advisory role to help out the government of Iraq and their military in training and support them in their fight against ISIS. So that's where the U.S. is now with the Middle East and the Biden administration. Okay. That's a lot of stuff that I just talked about and you heard in the fields of approval numbers, COVID-19, the economy, and foreign policy. After we come back from this short break, I'll talk about what's in store for Biden in 2022 and how his actions now impact his chances at re-election in 2024. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short, short break. To restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity, unity. In another January, on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, If my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. That was a clip of President Biden minutes into his first term in office on Inauguration Day back in January. Now, like I said, we're fairly early into President Biden's term, with only six months of accomplishments and losses sealed into the record. But while there may not be a whole lot in the policy realm, politics and elections are a never-ending phenomenon. While President Biden won't actually be on the ballot until November of 2024, he and his party are going to be on next year's ballots through various Democratic candidates and their campaigns across the country. The the decisions that Biden makes right now and for, for the next 16 months are going to have a huge impact on the electoral landscape of our country in time for the 2022 midterms. Since President Obama's first term, midterm elections have become far more influential than they ever have in the past. Over the course of the past decade or so, midterm elections have, major, have been major signs of what's coming ahead and how the electorate feels about the president and their party. In midterms, 
The one entity that allows us to best understand the electorate is the House of Representatives. For years, the House almost has always flipped party control from the president's party in midterm elections as opposition against the president rises and increases further into a term. I believe I've talked about these instances in previous episodes, but I'll mention them here anyway. In the 2010 midterms, President Obama and the Democrats lost six seats in the Senate and 63 seats in the House of Representatives and lost control of the House because of those losses. Many blame the rise of the Tea Party movement and Obama's spending policies from the 2008 recovery and the Affordable Care Act as leading reasons as to why they lost. Four years later, in the 2014 midterms, Obama and the Democrats lost control of the Senate, and that stayed in Republican control for six years. For President Trump, the midterms were not too kind to him or the Republicans. In the 2018 midterms, while Republicans did maintain control of the Senate with an additional two pickups, they lost big in the House with 41 seats going to Democrats and a rise of the progressive movement. This was definitely due in part to the controversy of the Trump administration, the rhetoric coming out of the White House, and of course, how divided we had gotten at that point. When I think it through, if Hillary Clinton and Democrats won control of the House and the White House in 2016, then I believe a similar fate would have been spelled out for them too. So really, the winner of the 2016 election was pretty much destined for an abysmal midterm. And I very much blame a lot of that on just the how divided we are as a country politically. So that's why I think Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, if they were to have controlled the House in 2018, I feel like they would have lost the House. But Republicans were in that position and they lost the House in 2018. Now, as for President Biden, Looking at his first six months, he's delivered on a lot of major promises and he's got a pretty decent approval rating. However, I can't help but remember President Obama and the optimism for the midterms that he and his party had back in 2010. The spending policies, the economic crisis we're in right now, and so many things other than that are very reflective of President Obama's first couple of years in office. And many experts believe that Biden may actually be set to see the same fate that Obama did in his first midterm election. There have been many indications of Republicans maybe taking back control of the House in two years. But the most notable indication is maybe perhaps the 2020 House elections. Back in 2020, Trump did in fact lose the White House. However, overall... Down-ballot Republicans made huge gains in governorships and state legislatures across the country. Now, it was expected that Republicans were going to make gains in certain vulnerable Democrat districts. It was widely predicted that Democrats were going to have huge net gains in other districts across the country and that President Biden's agenda was sealed for victory. That, of course, was wrong. Democrats barely managed to clinch to the Senate, clinch on to control of the Senate with a 50-50 tie and only VP Harris there to break it. And then the bigger liability, the House has a less than 10 seat difference in the majority. Joe Biden entered into his first term with a very sharply divided country in Congress. And there's no question that he's needed to confront it before when trying to pass his agenda. 
Six months in, he's gone down a path that has mixed bipartisanship, following through on most promises that he intended on setting through in this first six months, and trying to set a legacy of being a uniter while facing a Republican opposition that's very united. To quote myself from earlier in this episode, no one's a winner. And that's looking more likely to be true for Biden. If we were talking about, say, 30 years ago, then I think with all the accomplishments that Biden has done and the huge operations with like the vaccination efforts and trying to revitalize our economy and stuff, I think he'd be hitting it out of the park and that Democrats would line up to vote for him in the midterms after our in his first midterm. And I'd be predicting some pretty comforting numbers for Democrats. But alas, we're far more divided now at this point. So even matching promises from the campaign won't move the needle for Biden. They'll need to go above and beyond. How about 2024? So President Biden hasn't officially declared that he's running for a second term. But I do recall from a press conference in March or something that Biden said it was his plan to run with Kamala Harris in 2024 for a second term. So how do things look for him? Well, it's a little premature to make any prediction about 2024 purely based off of the first six months and policy accomplishments. Because if COVID and 2020 taught us anything, it's that you literally cannot expect the future. You can only experience it when it happens. But for a preliminary 2024 prediction based off of the, these six months, I think it looks okay for Joe Biden. However, that is definitely not set in stone at all and is most certainly contingent on who the Republicans put up as their nominee in 24. Could it be DeSantis? Could it be Kristi Noem? Nikki Haley? Mike Pence? Donald Trump? I can't make a definitive prediction for Joe Biden until we get more information from that part of the news. The first six months of a presidency are important in setting the foundation for the next three and a half years for sure, but potentially even the subsequent four years after that for a second term. We've still got a lot to see from the from Joe Biden and the rest of his administration as a whole. They have yet to deal with new major issues and face the midterms, so we'll wait and watch. And whenever I do come back with an evaluation of the job President Biden is doing, I'm sure we'll have a much clearer picture for 2022 and 2024. That does it for us today, guys. If you liked this episode and liked my analysis, then follow our Instagram and Twitter at The Ishanesh Show for breaking news posts and show updates. Check out our new website, theishanesshow.com, for all new episodes and the brand new political news blog. DM me on social media or email me if you have episode topic suggestions. And of course, share this episode and the others with your friends and family. Thank you so much for all your support, and I'll see you guys on Friday. Bye.